radical, unwavering, unconditional love. And we believe God wants His special creation, human beings, to know that love. And we believe God wants us to allow Him to use us to help people experience and understand that love. We show these kinds of videos on a regular basis or DVDs on a regular basis because we do not want the people of Connection to realize that we are living in a culture that knows absolutely nothing about this book, the Bible. They were not raised by people who said you should honor God or Jesus Christ. And they think church folks all come decked out, looking outstandingly dressed, putting on false faces, and pretending to be something that, well, those folks know they aren't and church folks aren't. And we need God's love. And they need God's love. And we must never forget that as a church. You are not to come to connection just because it's all about you. We come to connection because it's all about God and His Son Jesus Christ. And we seek to pass that on through our relationships to people who may walk through this door. And hopefully, if we're truly a missional church, We do that in our families. We do that at our workplaces. And we are to do that where we play, where we find pleasure. If we don't, we can say we're missional, but we're not until we take it outside the walls. But it must be experienced here. Because often, somebody out there will step in one Sunday, and they'll give us one Sunday And if you and I have made this all about us, we don't have time to relate to them. We don't have time to let God use us to somehow touch our lives through maybe something we say, through something we do, through some way we help them. But they would say, you know, I'm going to give them another Sunday. And folks, it's not about giving us a Sunday. It's about coming back into a place where we're going to talk about God's Son, Jesus Christ. And He can bring transformation to them. I'm glad you're here today. I'm Mike Davis, the lead pastor. Today we're going to talk about God's love and how He has demonstrated that love. Okay? And if you have your copy of the Bible, it's been four weeks since we've looked at what book? Luke. So open it to Luke, okay? Luke. And we want to get into the 22nd chapter. And if you do not have a copy, don't show that yet. If you do not have a copy of Luke, then, or your Bible, will show it on the screens. But I do want to encourage you. There's New Testaments on the table across the hallway as you go out this door across the room. You take one of those and you just keep it. And then you bring it with you. And you underline and you circle whenever I suggest. Because I do suggest underlining certain words and verses or circling certain words or verses because when you go back and read that passage two months from now, three months from now, maybe a year from now, You'll read the passage, and if you look at what you underlined, it'll help you understand the context of that part of the Scripture. And so I encourage you, grab one of those New Testaments. Okay? Um, Before we look into the Scriptures, let me share that I hope you've got a a worship handout. If you have, I do want to call attention to 
the page with the sermon where you can put sermon notes. Says January twelfth. Says church work day. We had a church work day yesterday. Okay, and we probably had oh I don't know seventeen eighteen people here, maybe a few more. Okay, and we got a lot accomplished. Some people have been assigned projects; they've agreed to do them. Others just come and they help where we can use them. Now, we 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 apparently shut off some electricity because we couldn't use our lights. So we'll work on that next. Nick Saturday, so we lost these colored lights. And I hope we haven't affected the fire sprinkler system that it does. Don't light a cigarette. It may just turn on and, and drench us in worship, okay? Because we, we, we try not to do that, but we're becoming more familiar with this. Everybody's looking. There's no fire sprinkling system here. Everybody look up so you don't look up throughout the worship trying to figure out where it is, okay? But let me invite you to come and join us next Saturday, the 18th, and uh, if we probably will, the 25th, we've got Things we need to do. We've got cleaning we need to do. We need some women. We've got some, some uh, sanitizing we want to do. Wiping down. Uh, we've, got, we've got trim painting. We're not painting big items with rollers. We are taking small brushes and touching up. And if we do that basically about once a year, then we'll probably keep this facility always looking fresh. But we can't do that without volunteers. And so I want to invite you. To come and be with us next Sunday or next Saturday morning, eight to twelve, and the twenty-fifth if you can. If you can't come next week, come the twenty-fifth, and uh, just come in, and we'll find something for you to do. If you weren't one of those people who were assigned a project, but we do want you to help us, okay? And then also on there, if you look on the inside page where it says Connect Groups, I'm going to read that paragraph. So if you've got, if you never get one of these, they're always on the table when you come in, okay? But uh, I want to read that paragraph for our connectors. Before the universe began, before the beginning of time, God existed in His perfection. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. The Bible is clear that this one God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We will be looking at what the Bible says about the Godhead. There is not just one passage that explains all about God. We discover about God from different passages in the Bible. Come join us on this journey of discovery about the God who is. And we were to begin begun this past week, this study, and maybe a group met or not, and so some groups didn't. They'll be moving that material also into this week. But if you've ever wondered, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Godhead, three persons, I don't understand that. God everywhere, God all-knowing, I don't understand that. I'm telling you, you're hearing me invite you to come to one of these connect groups. Okay? They're at different times. And you come and you just give the next few weeks to learn some things about God, who He is, and in three persons. But you have to make the effort. So I do want to invite you to do that. And I think that's extremely important. I don't normally take a lot of time to make any kind of announcements. As we come in here, we're going to look at the Scriptures. But that is extremely important. Some of you have asked questions. Now is an opportunity for you to have those questions answered. Also in the center inside page, it talks about a second worship service beginning. You need to read that. We're going to do what we do in the morning, 4.30 in the afternoon. Okay, And when we begin that afternoon worship, we're going to move this worship to 10 o'clock. And so you need to be aware of that. Okay, You need to be aware of that. Now, I have, we're going to start that February the 2nd, okay? And uh, through some conversations with a couple different people, 
I think we'll start that February 9th. So I'll put that out on more material. So you can just write there, February 9th. There's a Super Bowl party being planned. Super Bowl Sunday night. I know some traditional people are going to say, oh, Super Bowl over God. We're not putting Super Bowl over God. It's one thing to start correctly. Once we get started, then we continue correctly. But uh, So we're going to do that February 9th unless something else comes up that I don't know about. And it could always be something. But we want to start that. So you might write there if you've got that. February the 9th, okay? February the 9th. And uh, trying to make it, you can read that article, you can see. Trying to make it so that you can invite your friends who say, no, Sunday morning's too early to get up. Well, bring them Sunday afternoon, okay? And you can read that information. Tell you what, before we go on and look at the Scriptures, how about if we bow together for prayer? Father, I thank You I thank You for already what we have witnessed in this experience. I thank You for the inspiration that has been offered to us. And Father, I just ask if, if there's anyone now in this room and they haven't received some inspiration through, through video or, or through song, that God, You would inspire them, inspire us as we look to Your Word. Inspire us, God, to trust You. Inspire us to look to You. Inspire us to allow You to, to let ourselves come away with You as we sang. We ask that You would help build us up through what we're going to hear today. Build us up that we would endure. Father, we're in a world where so many people are willing to do something for a time. But to continue, so many give up and so many quit. Father, speak to us about enduring, about continuing, about being faithful in our labor for our Lord Jesus Christ. God, make this, the rest of this worship point to Jesus and what You want for us through our relationship with Him. Make this all about Him. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So if you would, open those Bibles if you don't have them. Luke 22, look there at the 35th verse. Now what we're going to do, we're going to look in just a matter of time, just a matter of a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. And really, we could say in a matter of a few hours, He's going to die. Because He's going to be arrested in the evening that this Bible is going to be talking about. He's going to go to the cross the next day. He's going to die. He doesn't have much longer to talk with those people. If you've been with us, this is our 67th sermon on the book of Luke. We have been in this almost two years. We've got probably two to three more months. And the end of the book really just points to Jesus. And I've tried to make the book all about Jesus. This book is all about Jesus. From the beginning in Genesis to the ending in Revelation. And we tend to want to make it about ourselves. We want to make it about how to make ourselves better. And what it is all about is relating with what God has done and demonstrating His love through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is, has been walking with these, these 12 special guys. He's been teaching, but these 12 that are called His disciples. And he has, he has just a few hours left to talk to them. Now think about that. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you talk about? What would you bring up to people? What would you say to them? Well, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say hours before He dies. So look there at verse 35. 
Then Jesus asked them, speaking to those twelve, okay? They've been together. Jesus has instituted the special meal that we call face down. Some people call Lord's Supper. Some people call communion or Eucharist. And so now Jesus asked them, look what He says, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or extra clothing, and you ought to underline the next four words because when you read this passage, this is what He's trying to get across. He says, did you need anything? When I sent you out to do my work, to serve in my name, to be used by me in this world. He's saying, you didn't have this, you didn't have this, you didn't have this. Did you need anything? Now what he's referring to is back in Luke, the 10th chapter. Look on the screen to save time to turn in your Bible. Look on the screen. Luke 10, verse 3. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news, and you did, I'm sorry, now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, not a traveler's bag, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. Now Jesus is giving them instructions when they're being sent out, because what we tend to do is say, am I qualified? If somebody asks me to serve God or Jesus in this way, am I qualified? Do I have all the resources? Can I do this? And Jesus is sending them out and He's saying, don't be concerned about what you feel you need. And then back in Luke 22, He makes the statement, did you need anything? And what He's asking them is to evaluate their past in relationship to Him. You see, I don't know where you are today, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later because we're going to look at some Scripture. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what is happening that is upsetting you and causing you uncertainty and causing you to say, I don't know if it's very exciting being a Christian. I don't know if God's really helping me. Jesus is telling these people because He knows what is immediately coming. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And He says, I want you to think back earlier in our times together. And I want you to realize when I sent you out, and I told you, you don't have to worry about your resources and your ability. Did you need anything? Evaluate. Has God shown up in the past for you? If you have your, your worship handout, look at the first blank. Often, life presents us with blows. That Satan will seek, look at that, that Satan will seek to use to cause us not to do what God would want. Jesus' death is going to be a blow to them. We know that. We'll see. They go hide behind locked doors because they're afraid. They're going to be inadequate for what's going to come their way. And often blows come into our lives. And what those blows do is they cause us to pull away, to not be faithful in service for what God would want. They cause us to doubt. You see, Satan uses whatever difficulty that he can that comes into your life to cause you to pull away from where God would want you. It's the blows that Satan will use to cause you to fear. It's the blows Satan will use to your life that will cause you to be uncertain. It's the blows that Satan wants to use in your life to 
cause you to doubt God. And so Jesus has him here just a few hours before he dies. And he says, I want to remind you, whenever I sent you out and I told you don't depend on your own resources, matter of fact, I don't even want you to take your resources. Did God, did you need anything? Look back at Luke 22, verse 35. Look at their answer. No, they replied. You see, sometimes it's hard to be honest with ourselves. You see, if I'm going through a difficulty now with my children or my marriage or my work or my vocation or, or, or with my health, sometimes it's hard to be honest. Because you see, I live only in the present. And it's hard for me to stop back and think, you know, God's always showing up. That doesn't mean my health may not go bad and I may not die. That may not mean somebody may refuse to love me. And so my marriage is impacted. That does not mean my children may not make the, wrong cho- or the correct choice. And they make the wrong choice. And so there's a crisis that comes into their life. But that doesn't mean God abandons me. That doesn't mean He doesn't show up if I will open my eyes and see that. And that's what they're going to have to do when, they, when Jesus dies on the cross. They're going to have to be open to what God will do in that blow that's going to come to them. And you and I have to do the same. You see, when Jesus said... Did you need anything when you were asked to serve God? Their answer there in 35. No, they replied. Look, verse 36. But now he said, take your money. Now look what he says. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Hmm. Now take a traveler's bag. And then he says, if you don't have a sword, sell something and get one. Is Jesus telling them? Now you've got to understand this. He's going to die. The Roman soldiers are going to come with the temple guards and they're going to arrest him. And, and, and so, are they going to fight? Peter said, I'll die for you. And is Jesus telling them, okay, what I want you to do is get ready for physical warfare. Make sure you got your traveling bags. Make sure you got what you need. And be sure you get a sword. Is that what he's saying? If he is now, folks, that doesn't make much sense. Because both John and Matthew tell us that when Jesus is arrested, he tells his followers who pulls the sword out and swings it, put that away. If I needed help, I could ask God and He'd send thousands of angels. So if somebody reads this and says, oh, he's telling them get ready for physical warfare, he's not. What Jesus is implying is when, I tell you what, somebody kicks your door in in the middle of the night, what do you do? Get out cake and tea? You reach over to that drawer, you pull it open, you pull out that 38. You understand? You're ready because you know difficulty can come into your life. All Jesus is trying to say is, I want you to understand. It's difficult he's going to come. When Jesus dies, when they see him arrested, they're going to feel that difficulty. It's going to scare them. And Jesus says you need to get prepared. But the preparation is not that they got their resources and they got their sword. The preparation is you've got to turn to God. And we know that when we read the rest of the story. 
And that's what you've got to do. When somebody refuses to love you, when somebody makes choices that brings crisis into their life and your life, when something happens and you can't control it any longer, you need to turn to God. You need to let Jesus be Lord. Instead of pulling back, you need to step forward to what Jesus would want. That's what He's trying to tell them. He's trying to imply things are not going to be so easy in the next few days. And you have to be ready. And ready means you have to be willing to trust God because He introduced the context by saying, you know, when, when I sent you out and I told you to go and I told you don't take any of your resources, did God, did you need anything? And they said no. You see, because God provided. And it's the same thing for you and I when a blow comes into our life, when a hardship comes, when a difficult time comes. Look at your next blank. Remember, Jesus asked him, did God refuse to care to take care of you in the past when you were doing what He wanted? You see, because when he, they were sent out, they were doing what God wanted. Here's the problem. A blow comes in my life. My health isn't what I thought it was going to be. My resources financially aren't what they thought they were. My job didn't stay there. My vocation is affected. Somebody's not loving me like they did. My family's in turmoil. And what do we end up doing? We step back. We get mad. We get upset. And we stop stepping forward for God. We stop volunteering to serve for God. That's what we do. We quit. I quit being the kind of husband I ought to be toward my wife. I quit being the kind of father I ought to be toward my children. I quit being the person who relates to God in prayer and Bible reading and meditation. I quit wanting to be around you Christians. You just don't understand me and the difficulty I'm going through. And Jesus is saying, remember, did God refuse to take care of you in the past when you were doing what He wanted? And remember, if we went back to that Luke 10th chapter, he says, some people are going to reject you. In other words, they would face difficult back then, but God took care. And He will for you and I. That's what He's reminding. He's implying to them that things are going to get tough. And you need to be aware of it. And you need not to pull back from what God wants from you. You need to step forward. Look at verse 37. For the time has come, he says, for the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. The prophecy he's spoken about is in the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. It's written 700 years before Jesus was born into this world as God's Son entering human history. Jesus always existed. Come to the Connect group. Learn some things about that. But 700 years before He came into human history as a baby. A prophecy was spoken. Now look again, 37. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah was counted among the rebels. The Greek word means he's considered an unlawful bad person. And that's what they considered him. He was having treason. He scared people. We don't like this guy. Let's kill this guy. Let's arrest him. Let's kill him. And if you've been with me through Luke, you heard the priests were looking for those times that they could kill him. And anytime somebody shares with you, when Mike Davis stands up here, or Matt Griswold, or, or Josh Gentry step, st stands up here and shares with you God's Word, and it speaks to your life and you don't want to hear it, you don't like them. 
don't like them. Mike doesn't understand you, see? person God's using to speak to you, you don't understand. They don't understand you. Well, when Jesus came, He was counted among the rebels. People said, He's not a good person. He's a bad person. Look, He goes on. Yes. Now underline the next ten words after yes. Because it's what we got to remember when difficult times come to us, when the blows hit us. And they'll hit every one of us. Everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Jesus is saying this, when the blow comes into your life, you need to draw close to me. Because everything written about me will come true in your life if you draw close to me. That's what he's saying. Jesus is going to die. This is, this, is, this is speaking to their context. Jesus is going to be arrested and He's going to die. That's a blow. And they've got to be careful pulling away from where God wants Him to be. They've got to remain drawing close to what God would want. Because everything God has said is going to be fulfilled. That's what Jesus is telling him. It's going to be fulfilled. I want you to look with me at that prophecy. I want you to hear what Jesus was telling them so that they could have confidence that 700 years before what was going to happen to Jesus, God said it was going to happen. So, and Jesus reminds them of that so they would realize who's in control, folks. God! You see, humans can't tell future 700 years. They can guess at it, but they can't tell it. But God can because God is in control. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Evaluate in the past whenever I sent you out and I told you to do what God wanted you to do and you went and I told you don't take anything. Did you need anything? And they said, no, no, God provided. See, when you're doing what God wants, even when the blows come, God provides. But most of us as humans, we pull away and then we say, where's God? And Jesus is telling them, this difficult time is going to come. They don't understand. He's going to be arrested. They don't understand he's going to die on a cross. But when it comes, they'll remember his words. And he says, 700 years before it happens, God told us it was going to happen. Because what you've got to understand, when Satan works, <clears throat> when the blows of life comes, you've got to realize all that God has said will come true. He doesn't abandon you. He's there for you. So, if you would, I want you to turn in your Bibles. I know some of you don't, okay? But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Isaiah 53. Normally, I just put the words on the screen. But I think it's too important a passage if you've got your Bibles. Excuse me. <coughs> I want you to see this prophecy Jesus is talking about that He referred to in Luke. Let's look at what God said about Jesus through the prophet Isaiah. Old Testament. Look at your table of contents, the best way to find it. The 53rd chapter. I'm going to be again at verse 2. I want to go through verse 12. It's the rest of the message, folks. Because it's what Jesus was calling attention to them. And you and I aren't as familiar with the Old Testament as they were. And we need to look at it again. Isaiah 53, verse 2. He said, my servant, God is speaking through, through the prophets, so it's God speaking. God is saying, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence, in God's presence, okay? 
like a tender green shoot. In other words, what is a tender green shoot? You put a seed in the ground and it pops through the ground and it's very tender. It's the new plant. Jesus is going to be born like as a child. That's all God is prophesizing ahead of time. He said, I want you to understand, my servant who will be in my presence will be like a tender green shoot. He's just going to be born into the world. Okay? He's going to be born into the world. He goes on, he says, like a root in dry ground. In other words, the ground's not good for the tender root. And you know, Jesus came into a world, listen to me, full of sin. Sin was flourishing. We think sexual immorality is something new to our time. It was there. We think crooks is new to our time. They were there. We think this loyalty and abandonment is new to our time. It was there. I could read you letter of a Roman father that's kept in the archives in Rome abandoning his child. And it was accepted by his society because she was a girl. You females, don't let any man put you down for being a female. Don't have time to talk about that. Us men ought to hold you up. We ought to honor you. And you ought to honor us. But see, he, he's a child going to be born into dry ground. A world that is not looking for God. A world that is not concerned about God. It's all concerned about ourselves. Even the people who are going to God's place, the temple, were just people concerned about themselves, not concerned about the people who need to hear about God. And you know today in America, we got churches with people in them, and they're concerned about keeping the church, and they aren't concerned about the people not coming. That's why some of you ask, Mike, can we do this? Will we do this? And I say, no. You see, because our lead team even talked this last week, we're trying to evaluate everything. Everything. In regards to touching people who don't come to church. And if that bothers you, I'm telling you, you can go find a church where they're only concerned about people who come to church. Jesus was going to be born into a time where people didn't even care about what God wanted. Just what they wanted. He goes on. There was nothing, look what he says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. In other words, Jesus is just going to be a normal guy. You see, that's where, whenever I was in the universe, people say, well, if God's so great, why did, he, why did Jesus come that way? Why wasn't he born in a castle or, or a palace? Why didn't he have a lot of wealth? Why wasn't he a political leader? See, he's just going to be a normal guy. If, if you were a Jew in that day, Jesus was born in Nazareth. We, we saw this early in Luke. The Jew would have said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Jesus, there's nothing that was attractive about Jesus. There was nothing that would cause people to want to get in line to attend, to be with Jesus. Except when He started talking, His words and actions started bringing transformation. And I'm going to tell you, connection isn't any different than other churches. God's Spirit will work through any church that lifts Jesus up. But if you get into connections behavior, we're always trying to pull people into activity that God can transform them. The problem is, some of you refuse to give God an ongoing journey of time to bring that transformation. Because you want it in one week, one month. Jesus, there's nothing about Him that is attractive. He's going to come, and it's not how they expected a Messiah to come. The Jew was looking for a political leader, a guy on a white horse, a guy to raise an army, a guy to run the Romans out of Jerusalem, out of Israel. 
It's not going to be what Jesus is going to do. And some of us, you know what? We're looking for the Jesus that I've never got a cold. We're looking for the Jesus that I never have a cancer. We're looking for the Jesus that I never have financial tightness. We're looking for the Jesus that my, my family never does anything wrong or make wrong choices. We're looking for the Jesus that my employment never says to me, I'm sorry, your job's terminated. We're looking for the same kind of Jesus they're looking for. And you know the Jesus that calls us? Listen, Jesus says, unless you're willing to follow Me, you'll take up your cross and you'll suffer for Me. Serve Me. Suffer for Me. You're not worthy to follow Me. You're not worthy, He says, to be called a child of God. We don't want that, Jesus. My life's too hectic. I don't have time for that, Jesus. God wrote 700 years before. He's just not going to be a, come the way they think the Messiah ought to come. He goes on, verse 3. He was despised and rejected. Of course, we're going to see that. They're going to see that, see? Because he's going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified like a common criminal. He's despised, he's rejected. And they're going to be tempted. I already told you. They're going to be found hiding behind a locked door. They're not going to be stepping out to serve. They're going to pull away. They're going to try to protect themselves. This rejection is not a denial that Jesus might be the Messiah. This rejection is a refusal to follow Him in difficult times. You don't understand. i got problems in my life. Get somebody else that don't have problems. Hey, I tell you what. Really, raise your hand. Anybody that doesn't have a problem, raise your hand. Look, look around. If you've ever said, get somebody else that doesn't have any problems, we can't get anybody. You see, this rejection is not the rejection that says, I don't believe Jesus is, is the Messiah. Jesus Himself said, there's going to be people who call Me Lord, Lord. And they did some great things in My name. But He says, when it comes to the day of judgment, I'm going to say, depart from Me. I don't know you. You never did what God wanted you to do. Is that you? Because some blows come into your life? He was despised, rejected. Don't you despise hearing Me Put this challenge out before you? Mike, but you don't understand. I'm hurting. I'm not well. My family has this. Despised and rejected. He goes on. He's a man of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. And we know that's true. We see he sheds tears. Let me just say this. Sometimes we think, we're told, Boy, if you follow Jesus, you should be the happiest person in the world. God said 700 years before Jesus came that He's going to know sorrow and grief. And we'll see that if you come back. You see, because the rest of the Luke is all about Jesus. We're going to see He's going to go through experiences not any of us would want to go through. Nails driven through your flesh. Spear stuck in your side. Your best buddies all abandon you. Praise God. There were some good women back there that didn't abandon him. He's going to know sorrow. He's going to know grief. And I share that with you because you see, when you choose to call Jesus Lord and follow Him, 
Somebody tells you it's always to be happy. I want you to know there's going to come sorrow and grief because the same devil that worked then is the same devil that works today. And just as we're going to see Jesus come to God and say, it's your will, not mine, that's what we've got to say. Because see, my will always wants it to be easy for me. My will always wants it to be comfortable for me. My will always wants me to do less and you do more. But it's not always God's will. Look what verse 3 goes on. We turned our backs on Him and looked the other way. The refusal to follow. He was despised. We did not care. You see, it didn't bother them back then, those people who crucified Jesus, that they were killing Him. It didn't bother them. They were gambling at the time for His belongings. It didn't bother them. Goes on, yet it was our weakness. Now look what he says. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. See, the world thought, well, it's a bad man that's dying. I mean, there's, there, there's two criminals on the side and a criminal in the middle, Jesus. And, and Romans only would execute criminals, not innocent people. So, so we thought God's punishing him for being a bad person. That's what he's saying. The world's going to look at it. And some people even today would say, well, if he was of God, if he was so powerful, why did he have to die? Was that a punishment from God? I wish I had time to talk about that. God talked about what the Bible says about the agreement between the Father and the Son even before you and I was created. But the world would look at it and say, well, he's just getting what he deserves. God's getting him for his bad sins, whatever they are. Now look at verse 5. If you got your Bible open to Isaiah 53, underline verse 5 or circle it. But that verse is what this chapter is all about. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Now I know some people pull this out of context. You read the entire context is so that we have a relationship with God. And the New Testament reiterates that. Some people say, no, by His stripes are you healed so you'll never have a sore throat. Well, if you want to buy that, okay. But the context is that we are strained from God. We are weak. We are wounded. Sin has hurt us. And through Christ, we're going to be made friends of God. We're going to be made right with God. It was because of your sin and my sin that Jesus went to the cross. That's what verse 5 is saying. It's because of the sin of the person who betrayed you. It's because of the sin of the person who was disloyal to you. It's because of the sin of the person who lied about you. Jesus went to the cross. God has written this 700 years before Jesus would go to the cross. Matter of fact, Paul tried to explain to his people like I'm explaining to you. Look on the screen, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Look what Paul wrote. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what also had been passed on to me. Now let me stop. All that means is this. Paul wasn't there. Somebody told him about it. You and I can't go back 2,000 years, and so somebody tells us about it. So he says, passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Look what he says. This is 2,000 years ago. He's saying what I'm showing you today, Isaiah 53. 
Just as the Scriptures said. In other words, the Scripture was the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament Bible and Paul was talking. And so he's saying, I want you to understand, I am sharing with you what's been shared with me and what was shared with me and I'm sharing with you is what God said 700 years ago. That Christ died for our sins. Verse 4 says He was buried. Now he's saying that's what the Scriptures tell us. We don't have time to chase that right now. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter. Now look, now he's talking about present time for him. He was seen by Peter. This is a resurrection. And then by the twelve, verse 6, after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Look what Paul says. Most, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse 7. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. See, 2,000 years ago Paul wrote this to people who could check it out and investigate it. And Paul made point to say, most of the people who saw him, of those 500 people, he doesn't say they saw him. Some people preach this as old. 500 people saw him at one time. Mass hallucination. He never says that. He says, 500 people, more than 500 people saw Jesus. He says, I want you to know, you can go talk to those people because most of them are still alive. Now, you and I can't. And so today, some intelligent disbeliever, Satan fills his mind. He says, you don't know if it's true. You don't know if somebody really saw Jesus raised from the dead. But Paul says, you can check out. You can go ask that guy who lives on the corner of whatever street. Did you? You know, I heard you saw Jesus raised from the dead. I'm telling you. I did. And he could tell of the episode. But Paul says it all happened according to what was written years before. Why? Because Paul's trying to tell them what I'm trying to tell you that man can't predict the future, can only guess it, maybe get it right sometimes, but God knows all. And He controls. And He's told them 700 years before so that they would believe when it happened. And they could investigate it. Back to Isaiah 53, look at verse 6. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path. Now listen to that. All of us like sheep have strayed away. That's me. That's my wife. That's my four kids. That's you. That's your mate. That's your children. That's your mama. That's your daddy. That's the best person you've ever known. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. You see, I'm going to tell you, when push gets to shove, you're going to do what you want to do unless, now listen to me, unless when the blows come, you draw closer to God. And the blows will come. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus, the sins of us all. All, Paul, all, all Isaiah, or God's trying to remind them 700 years before, is our tendency is, and it's always been the tendency, we can read the Old Testament, our tendency is to wander away from where God wants us to be. Our tendency is to do our thing and not God's. Our tendency is God, God feeds them bread, He says go this way, and they go this way, but somewhere they want to walk over here. They want to get off of God's path. God has touched your life. You're here. Most of you, because I look, and there's some people I haven't seen before, but there's most of you I've seen before, and you got on the path. And you got to be careful, because Satan's going to say, leave God's path and go another way. And he does that to Christians in all churches. 
And yet the Lord laid on Jesus, the Messiah, the sins of us all. See, our sinfulness is that we say no to God. Somebody says, I think this sin's worse than this sin. Listen, this sin says no to God. I'm not going to do what you want. This sin says no to God. I'm not going to do what you want. See, you want to say you're not that bad of a sinner, but they are. But if you say no to God, you're that bad of a sinner. That's what he's trying to say. The sins of us all. We're all headed for direct destruction. This world doesn't even want us to believe that. We're all headed for destruction. Separation from God. Every person is headed in that direction because of their sins. But we read, God said 700 years before it is going to happen, and then Paul said He died for our sins. Jesus, the Son of God, born as a baby, as a tender plant, in a world of dry ground that doesn't even really honor God. It's all about people. He's going to die for our sins. And now we're 2,000 years removed. And yet it's the same message. Jesus died for my sins, for your sins. Jesus is the one who saves me from destruction. It's not me coming to church. It's not me reading the Bible. It's not me memorizing Scripture. It's not me making all correct choices. And I try to do those things. What saves me from destruction is what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. It's all about what He has done, not what I do. You start thinking it's about what you do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to look at other people and you're going to say, but they aren't doing. So why should I do? If they're not doing, why should I keep doing? I think somebody else should do. You've got to draw close to Jesus and see what He did. And that's why. I come to church. You've got to draw close to Jesus. That's why I say to my wife, I'm sorry I was impatient. I'm sorry I raised my voice. You've got to draw close to Jesus. And you've got to do what Jesus wants you to do when sin is wanting you to do your thing to get off God's path. Because Jesus died for your sins. And the only victory you can have over wrong behavior, sinful behavior, is through following Jesus. Not yourself. Don't follow me. Accept if I'm following Jesus. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and treated harshly. I guess if they hang you on the cross, that's pretty harsh, right? And if they beat Him beyond recognition, I guess that's oppression. Yet, never said a word. Look, Jesus didn't defend Himself and neither did anybody else when all this is happening. We're going to see that in a little bit. A few weeks. And the reason is because there's a power greater than any human voice that will defend Jesus in time. And that's the Holy Spirit. He'll speak to your mind. Your mind. He'll say, listen. Remember that video? If you came in late, you missed a great... I think we better show that again next week. Close call. Some of you are here today and you're no closer to Jesus Christ as Lord as you were 20 years ago or 20 days ago. And you may have been going to church for 20 years. But you know who you follow. You know who controls your life. You're having a close call today. God's trying to invite you to Jesus who died for your sins. You see, God's Spirit is the one who will lead us to see what Jesus has done. I hope that's happening even now as I pray and ask God to inspire us.
He goes on in verse 7, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. In other words, Jesus knew this is what the Father and I had agreed. Listen, an eternity before the world was even created. God's not punishing Jesus. That's why it's called love. Jesus agreed with the Father. Sin's going to hit the human race. You know what? I will pay the price that cannot be paid for sin. It wasn't an easy task. Come back. Here are the sermons that are going to lead up to His crucifixion. It's not an easy task. But you see, He lays down His life for us. He was the sacrificial Lamb. They're writing to Jews. Don't have time to talk about all that. But they would offer the unblemished Lamb and say, God, please forgive me. Well, you see, we don't offer the animal. The offering was Jesus Christ Himself. The very Son of God. The very Son of God died on the cross for me. I'm not even worthy of that. He died for you. Hey, I'm looking at you. I know some of you aren't worthy of that. Thanks. Nobody. Yet Christ stepped out of all eternity, never been separated from the Father. Come and hear the sermon on the cross. Why? Because He loved me. And He loved you. Look, he goes on verse 8. Unjustly condemned. Didn't do anything wrong. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short midstream. In other words, he didn't father any children. Okay? It didn't bother them. They're killing Jesus. He goes on in verse 8. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. In other words, God created us. And we rebelled against God. We sinned. He had done no wrong. That's Jesus. Had never deceived anyone. Jesus always spoke the truth. There's no sin in Jesus. Verse 9. But he was, buried, uh, he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Look, 700 years before. We're going to get to that. You, the rich man. His name is identified. Joseph of Arimathea. A rich man's grave Jesus is put in. See, they could check that out. You and I, we don't go over there. We can't even talk to Joseph of Arimathea. Some of them could say, why did you offer your grave? And Joseph would say, because I, I believe in Jesus. And when he died, I said, man, I'd be honored if you'd use my tomb. Stop and think. Because he gave himself for the rest of his life. He can say, this is where Jesus was buried. See, today we don't know. It's too far removed. This is where Jesus was buried in my tomb. And this is where he, that stone rolled, out, rolled away and he walked out. For the rest of his life, he could give a testimony of his story in relationship with Jesus. You know what? That's what you got. That's what I got. We got stories. We got stories of what Jesus has done in our lives. But very few of us share those stories because we don't teach people in the church to give testimony. You come to CR, that's all you hear is people sharing stories of the transformation Jesus has brought into their lives. You and I are so full of pride, we don't want anybody to know anything bad ever happened to us. And yet they know bad happens because it happens to them. Joseph of Arimathea, 700 years before, God says he'll be buried in a rich man's tomb. And they could check that out. Look, it goes on. But it was the Lord's good plan. Verse 9 goes on. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. God's plan was that Jesus is going to be our substitute. He's going to experience death. Goes on, verse 10. Uh, yet when his life is made an offering, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. What in the world? 
All that's trying to say, when Jesus dies for us, He's going to raise from the dead, and there's going to be many brothers and sisters follow Him. Sons of God. Children of God. That's you and I if we are followers of Jesus. Jesus has many, many descendants because of what He did. And I'm going to tell you this. If you will, if you will, excuse me, if you will, no matter what blow comes into your life, if you will draw close to Jesus and serve Him and allow your story, because God's not going to waste your hurt, allow your story to be told, you're going to see there's going to be people that are going to be like grandchildren to Jesus because your story is going to make a difference in their life. And some of you, 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 can, you can do the best hobby, you can do the best vocation, but you know, you're not really impacting any other people for Jesus. Because you keep pulling away and you don't allow your story to be shared. But Jesus is going to have many descendants. Goes on verse 10, He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper His hand. He's going to die on a cross, but He's going to... Continue on for eternity. God's going to exalt Jesus. It's going to be a good thing. Verse 11, and you know, sometimes when a blow comes, I can't see anything good. When I'm running out of money, I can't see anything good. When they tell me, you know, you may have to have surgery, I can't see anything good. That's why I love, one of my children always tells me, he's ready for death. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Because of his confidence in Jesus. You see, when all has been accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because Jesus is going to know that his obedience to the Father will bring glorification to those who will listen to God's prophecy as it's happening before their very eyes or as they study it 2,000 years later and turn and follow Christ. Verse 11 comes to a conclusion. It says, And because of His experience, my righteous servant, look what He says, that's Jesus, will make it possible. Very important. Verse 11, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for He will bear, bear all their sins. That's a very important verse if you can underline the last part of that. And because of His experience, my righteous servant, Jesus is righteous, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. To be counted righteous for He will bear all their sins. Martin Luther, a few hundred years ago, labeled this the great exchange. Now listen to me. The great exchange. You see, I, I should die on the cross. I should be separated from God. You don't want to miss that sermon when He dies on the cross. I'm going to talk about that. I should be separated from God. Because I am a sinner. I am unrighteous. But it was Jesus who died for my sins. It was Jesus who felt the separation from the Father. I'm going to talk about that. This is the great exchange. Matter of fact, look on the screen. Paul tried to explain it to the people his day. 2 Corinthians. For God made Christ. Look at that. For God made Christ who never sinned. He's, he's righteous. There's no sin in Christ. He's righteous. This is a great exchange. That's what Martin Luther... I wish, I wish he wouldn't have said that so I could have said that. The great exchange. 
For God made Christ who never sinned, He had no sin, to be the offering for our sin. See, we're the unrighteous. The righteous. God took the righteous and made Him the offering for our unrighteousness. Look what He says. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Come to that sermon where He dies on the cross. Jesus Christ took all our unrighteousness on Him. He was righteous and He became unrighteous so that anyone who by faith looks to Him and follows Him as Lord. That means you, you get on the path and you, you seek to follow Him. And when you get off, you say, I'm sorry, and you get back on. But if you follow Him, He takes you that is unrighteous, me that is unrighteous, and He makes us righteous in the eyes of God. That's what He does. I'm not perfect. I still sin. But when God looks at me, He sees Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That's the great exchange. The righteous became unrighteous so that the unrighteous would be seen in the eyes of God as righteous. Some of you heard a close call. You are. You're here and you've kept saying no to Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, we sang in that song, it's never too late. It's never too late. And God's speaking to you right now because you're the unrighteous. And Jesus the righteous died for you. And if you will look to Him in faith and follow Him, He will declare you righteous. And that's how God will see you. You won't be perfect, but you'll be righteous one day in heaven. You'll experience. As the Bible says, you'll be as Jesus is. Look at the next blank on your message map. God no longer sees my sin. Woo-hoo! You know, some of you that don't even impress. You're, you're, you're sad that Seattle the, won the game yesterday. Some of you, when they won, go, Woohoo! God no longer sees your sin. That's more important than your, your pay being doubled. That's more important than a baby being born into your family. That's more important than a cancer being healed. And I could go on, give you illustration after illustration. That's what we're finding out. The great exchange is that because of what Jesus did, those who put their faith in Him and follow Him, God no longer sees their sin. Look at verse 12 in Isaiah 53. I will give Him the honors of a victorious soldier because He exposed Himself to death. Well, I don't even have time to talk about what a a soldier would be honored. I'm just telling you, God's just going to say this. I'm going to raise Jesus up. And he has. There's no other name. Matter of fact, they just did a, 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 a news thing of I think the hundred most important people or names that are known. And Jesus Christ still number one. Across the world. <laughs> I could name other religious people. They're down the list. 50, 46, things like that. God has lifted him up because of the victory. Because of the victory he has brought through the great exchange. And you know the victory was for me and for you. Look at the end of verse 12. He was counted among the rebels. Again, I'll say what I said before. The world just saw him as a bad person. It is that line that Jesus spoke in Luke 22. Verse 37, he was counted among the rebels so they could look back 
and find the location of the prophecy. And in time, after the blow, when they start saying, you know, God, what do you want us to do? You know, we just, we feel so abandoned. We feel so alone. What do you want us to do? Hey, remember Jesus said the prophecy being fulfilled. And he said, he was counting among the rebels. Where was that at? Isaiah 53. Well, let's read Isaiah. Wow. We're seeing the prophecy of God fulfilled in our presence. What do you want us to do, God? Verse 12 ends with, He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Bad people. Matter of fact, look at the last blank on your message, on your worship handout. Jesus died for bad people. Like me. And like you. That's it. That's why we want them to come in here. If you don't like the way they talk, if you don't like that they drink or smoke or, or they have uncontrolled sex, I want them to come. And so do many of our people. Town drunk, town prostitute if we have a town drunk, town prostitute. The most dishonest person in our area. I want them here every week. Because I know a Lord Jesus Christ that will transform people who will allow themselves to be openly exposed to the Holy Spirit speaking through the lifting up of Jesus. It's the great exchange. I want to call attention to, to the last Scripture that we heard in this church before we had to cancel last Sunday. And that's what Matt reminded us of. I want to call attention to that Scripture. If you were here and Matt preached, you missed the Scripture. Look on the screen. It's Romans 5.8. This is what Paul wrote. But God showed His great love for us. It's so great when you come to understand who Jesus was and what He did. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ. Somebody says, I don't want to hear about the blood of Jesus. When I was in the university, they called it a bloody religion. I don't want to hear about the blood. I'm telling you, there's no salvation apart from the blood of Jesus. If that's not your kind of Christianity, this is the wrong church for you. You can find one somewhere, I'm sure. But I would invite you to stay and just let it marinate in your mind. The love of Jesus. As you see it demonstrated through the love of His people. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10, For since our friendship with God was restored, remember through the blood of Jesus, by the death of His Son, while we were still sinners, not because you're good, but because of what Christ did who was good, we were still His enemies, and we, cert and, or we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So, verse 11, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. Because our Lord, listen, because we come to church every Sunday? Because we've got a complete Bible and they didn't? No. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So I ask you, do you trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? This is a close call. You're on the train track of destruction if you have not trusted Him. And the train of judgment is coming. And as we saw in that first video, unbelievably close calls. It's never too late. Today, you turn to God. 
You tell God you're sorry for your sins. You tell God what you have heard. You believe that Jesus died for you. And that through Him your sins are forgiven. And today you declare to God you seek to follow Jesus. And the great exchange will take place in your life. I invite you to trust Jesus today. Are there any questions? Back here, no questions? Let's bow together and then we're done. Father, thank You. Thank You for Luke. Thank You for him, him being a, a man of science, a man of wisdom, a man of intellect, and yet a man who took a journey to investigate. Thank You, Father, that He has written these things down to remind us. And really, Father, He wrote them down so the very people who lived at that time would know the truth and could check it out. Thank You, God, for the privilege You give us today to experience these truths. May we let them bring transformation into our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.